When's it gonna happen? Here I am, there you are. Here I am desperate for love, for truth. What are you gonna do when you leave this building? Are you gonna share with me what you've been learning here today? Or are you just gonna bottle it up and pull it out next week for your friends? Now when I say share, I'm not talking about every tactic you've used on me in the past. Like judging my every move, telling me I'm a bad person, pointing fingers, giving me disgusting looks. <laughs> and my favorite is when you tell me that I'm lost. I don't even know what that means to be lost. Do you really think judging me is gonna make me change? Would it make you change? Now, I, I know I'm a bad person. I've, I've done bad things, but I don't need you to tell me that. What I need is for you to pick me up when I fall down, to be there when I'm broken. Yes, there's, there's something missing in me. There's a void in my heart that I don't know how to fill. You have it. You have that thing that makes you whole. You know that person that I need to know. So I'm watching your every move. I'm watching where you go and what you say and do. Because I'm desperate for something real. I need something genuine to know that there's something more here than this. I mean, this, this can't be it, really. And I think you know that. Listen to me. I need you. I need you to be here for me. I need you to walk out right now, ready and willing to do whatever it takes. Hey, it's, it may not be comfortable. It may not be easy. But I need you to show me love. No matter the cost, show me what unconditional love really looks like. Stop telling me about this God of yours and show me who he really is. Honestly, I'll probably resist you. I'll probably argue with you and laugh at you. I'll, you know, even when you fall, I'll probably call you a hypocrite. But don't give up on me. Please don't give up on me. So I'm going to ask you, when's it going to happen? You know, it's not loud and flashy, but did that grab your attention? Did that grab your heart? As you watched it, did you see the face of any of your friends sitting on that bench? Kind of given that unspoken plea. That's what that video is called. We're in the middle of a five-week sermon series that we've titled Discover Us, and it's a series that we're answering several questions. Why do we exist, which is our purpose? Where are we going, which is our mission, or excuse me, our vision? How are we going to get there, which is our mission, or our strategy, which we're going to talk about today? And then what values and commitments are going to drive us as we move ahead we do a series like this with a woman like that, that woman in the video in mind. If we're not seeing lives like hers changed, 
If we're not seeing a hungry world brought to the overflowing table of God's love, then we are little more than a social club. And I want us to be more than that. Amen? As a church, we are called to love God, love people, and make disciples. That's our purpose. As a church specific to this worshiping community of faith, God is calling us to be church for our neighbors. Neighbors like this woman on the bench. The question arises, how do we do that? How do we get there? That's our mission statement. Now, I told you last week that we don't have all the answers to how we get there. We don't have like a 10-step plan that we're crossing off as we achieve each thing or as we finish each thing. We haven't bought the book from the church down the street that has figured out how to be church for their neighbors, you know, and they're selling us their secrets for a low, low price of three installments of 1999. We haven't bought that book yet. We know this is going to be challenging. There's no easy answers. There's, you know, church is different in different locations, different cultures, different times. We believe, though, that as, as a leadership, that the story of Scripture gives us some necessary components, some necessary elements, some directions that will help us effectively and successfully live out our purpose and vision. And in fact, we're pretty confident that the story of Scripture gives us three necessary ingredients that always need to be part of our strategy. Always need to be part of how we get there. And here are those three things. Gather, grow, go. Gather, grow, go. Say it with me. Gather, grow, go. This isn't unique to us. We didn't make this up. In fact, you you stick that in Google and you're going to get countless other churches that have a similar mission, a similar strategy. This strategy comes from Scripture. And we believe that with God as our guide, our help, our power, and our strength, that it will help us fulfill the purpose and vision that God has given us. So gather. Gather for worship. It's come from Hebrews 10, verse 25. And let us not neglect our meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. Gather for worship. That's what we're doing this morning. Now next, grow in relationships. Grown relationships. John 13, 35, Jesus said, Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. So we must grow in relationships. And finally, we must go on mission. Go on mission. Jesus said in John chapter 20, He said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Gather, grow, go. Now, initially, when I was thinking about how to share this morning, how to, how to preach this, I thought, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take passages from all of Scripture to emphasize why we need to do those three things. I'm going to take passages from Genesis to Revelation to show how anytime God is moving, anytime His church is, is in the process of expanding, there's gathering, there's growing, and there's going. Well, then recently I heard a, a modern-day Uh, expert in preaching, a modern-day expert in communication say, when you're preaching, don't use a whole bunch of different texts. Don't don't go all over the place. Just use one text. It'll help focus in. So this morning, I'm going to heed his counsel. I'm going to take his advice, and I'm just going to, I'm going to focus in on one text. It starts in Acts chapter 1, verse 1, and goes to Acts chapter 28, verse 31. One small text 
Acts chapter 1 through Acts chapter 28. Yeah? If we as a gathered community of believers who are seeking to follow Jesus' great commission and great commandment, if we as a group who are trying to be church for our neighbors, if we want to do this, I think it's fair for us to look at another church in history that started at a very similar size that we have, right around 120, and then they expanded to close to 2 billion that we have today. I think it's fair that we look at them and see how they gathered, <laughs> growed, and goad. Let's do that. Let's look at the, the, that first church in Acts. Now, all the passages are in your outline. Uh, don't try and keep up. I'm just going to tell this kind of story for them. You can go home and look back at those passages later. Gather. If you look at the book of Acts, you're not going to have to read very far before you realize that over and over and over and over again, this group of people is gathering together for worship. Now, I need to clarify, when I say gathering for worship, I don't just mean gathering to sing songs. I mean doing anything that points upwards, towards God, towards his work in humanity, towards his finished work on the cross, towards his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness, his guidance. Is singing part of that? Yes, for sure. But ultimately, as we gather for worship, it's so that we can keep our attention up. Ours and the people we're gathered with. And man, oh man, did the church of Acts ever gather for worship. Acts chapter 1, verse 14, it says, They all met together and were constantly united in prayer. Chapter 2, verse 1, it says, On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Chapter 5, verse 12, All the believers were meeting regularly at the temple in the area known as Solomon's Colonnade. Later in the book, on several different occasions, on these missionary journeys, uh, verses would talk about, like Acts 12, it would say, On the Sabbath day, they went to the synagogue for services. And often it would say, As usual. So they would go as usual to the services. As you can see, this is a group that gathers together regularly. And they were gathering in order to worship. Now last week I quoted Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47, so I won't read all of it. But here's a portion, verse 46 in the first part of 47. It says, They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met at homes for the Lord's Supper, and they shared meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God. See, they were gathering for worship. And as you can see in that verse, they weren't just gathering in the temple. They didn't just gather in the church building. They met in people's homes and other places as well. See, worship can happen outside of these four walls. Frankly, it doesn't even have to happen inside walls at all. Acts 16, it says, On the Sabbath, we went a little way outside the city to a riverbank where we thought people would be meeting for prayer. We sat down and talked with some of the women who had gathered there. Where were they meeting? Outside. Another time, Acts chapter 3, there's just two of them, Peter and John. They were on their way to the building, on their way to the temple for the 3 o'clock prayer service. And the, uh, the passage tells us this. It says, as they approached the temple, they came across this crippled beggar. And they healed him in the power of Jesus' name. And this healed man did this in, in verse 8 of chapter 3. It says, he jumped up stood on his feet and began to walk, then walking, leaping, and praising God. Then the three of them went into the temple. So outside, gathering for worship. And as you can see from that, you don't even have to be a large group. It can be a small group. That was a group of three. 
Quite a few times there was groups even smaller than that. Remember the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch? It's just two of them. What did they do? They gathered, right? Story goes, uh, God put Philip right where he needed to be, and this Ethiopian eunuch was driving along after worshiping in Jerusalem, and he was reading a passage out of Isaiah. He was confused. He saw Philip. Philip said, do you know what you're reading? No, explain it to me. They gathered to do what? To point upwards. And the guy's like, wow, this is fantastic. I believe. Why can't I be baptized right now? Look, (laughs) a puddle. Let's do it. Let's get baptized. Lives were changed, just two of them. It doesn't have to be a large group when we gather for worship. Frankly, it doesn't have to be like a time where, well, another time, two people gathering in jail. They are forced gathering, and yet they still chose to use this time for worship. Acts 16, 25, around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying together and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening in jail choosing to use their gathered time together for worship. Now, I could keep going of all the times in the book of Acts where the the church gathered together, but I'll stop at the, the last two verses. Acts chapter 28, verse 30 to 31. For the next two years, Paul lived in Rome at his own expense. He welcomed all who visited him, boldly proclaiming the Lord Jesus Christ, and no one tried to stop him. Even under house arrest, Paul was still gathering people together, small groups, large groups, outside the church building with the point of doing what? Looking up. Worship. Gathering for worship. This is a must for us as First Church if we are to fulfill the the purpose and vision that God has given us. I mean, frankly, as the lady in the video alluded to, it's seen that we gather It's noticed by our friends and family, by our neighbors across the street. The gathering is noticed. So what should this look like for us? How should we gather for worship? Well, here's the simple answer. Come here on a Sunday morning. We're here every Sunday morning, 931. Maybe even a little bit earlier if you really want to get here. I have heard so many people, and I'm sure you've heard the same thing, that have said to me, James, I, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. <laughs> You're right. You don't have, your, your eternal salvation is not determined by your attendance on a Sunday morning. But I would argue that your growth and development as a Christian is highly affected by whether you come and gather with a group of believers. Because it's not just about your own development. Your presence here leads to other people's growth. So that's the easy one. Gather here on a Sunday morning. Plus, this is an easy starting point for you to invite somebody who doesn't know Jesus to. You know, there are people who still come to church if they're invited. I'll say that again. There are people who still come to church if they're invited. A recent study showed that 60 to 80% of first-time guests at a growing church come because of a personal invitation from a friend. One out of four people, one out of four non-church people would come to church the first time they're asked. These are studies that show us that gathering together matters. You don't have to just gather here. I would say come here. But you can also gather in small groups. Someone invited you. That's how... Oh, raise your hand if somebody invited you here. We're just going to, off the cuff, okay? 
Awesome. A lot of you. Very good. Very good. Thank you. Invite somebody. Studies show that they're going to come. And if they don't, I mean, I'm like, oh, for however many I've asked in the last numerous years. Just keep asking. Someday they'll come. Okay, other times you can gather. Gather as a small group. Gather in different growth groups. We've got all sorts of different opportunities that you'll see in your, your bulletin and other things we've been talking about. Gather in one-on-one relationships with the specific purpose of spiritual development. You can, you can be in a group online. You can, you can do this over the phone. I've got a friend who every Wednesday morning gets up early and calls somebody on the west side for the, for the sake of prayer. These two women are gathering for worship. You cannot be a Christian in isolation, which means you have to find a regular way to gather for worship with other believers. The early church did that, and they exploded. Let's learn from them. Step one in our strategy, our mission, is to gather for worship. Step two, the next part, is to grow. To grow in relationships. Okay? You can't love God, which is part of our purpose, if your relationship with him is not growing. You can't rightly love other people if your relationship with them is not growing. You, you can't be church in the truest sense of what that means if you are not investing in relationships with people inside the church and outside the church. We must constantly be growing in relationships. Now, first, our relationship with God. The Apostle Paul which the second half of the book of Acts is is pretty much about him and his journeys. He said this really well when he wrote a letter to the church in Colossae. And this will be the only time I cite a a reference outside of Acts. He says this in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 and 7. He says, And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth that you were taught, and you will overflow with thankfulness. Paul spoke of growing deeper in relationships to the church in Ephesus as well. Now, in the the book of Acts, you see growth in the relationship with God happen on multiple different levels. Oftentimes, it's that first step, that first decision to follow Jesus. We see this all sorts of times. Like when Peter steps up, he sees this opportunity, this crowd, and he steps up and he, and he shares. He gives the gospel message. Acts chapter 2, verse 14 to 36, the last verse says, Peter says this, he says, So let everyone in Israel know for certain that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, to be both Lord and Messiah. At the end of his conversation there, his talk, 3,000 people came to know the Lord. A couple days later, Peter again stood up. Acts 3, verse 19, he tells the group very plainly, repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. That passage goes on to say that the church grew to over 5,000. These are new people starting a relationship with God. Angels told the apostles who had been jailed in Acts 5, verse 20, they said, go to the temple and give the people this message of life. And they went. And people said, huh, I get it. I believe I'm going to start this relationship with Jesus. These are early stages relationships with people who didn't know but then knew. Now, you also get stories in Acts of people who knew God, who were God-fearing but didn't know the connection with Jesus and, and how Jesus brought salvation. A great example of this is Cornelius, Acts chapter 10. It says, he was a devout, God-fearing man, as was everyone in his household, and he gave generously to the poor and prayed regularly to God. 
Well, then he gets this message from God, and Peter gets this message, and they, they get together and they talk. And it says in verse 24, it says, When they arrived, this is Peter and his crew arrived at Cornelius' house. They arrived in Caesarea the following day. Cornelius was waiting for them and had invited his friends. It says he had called together his relatives and close friends. Now they heard the message from Peter. And from God-fearing people, they moved deeper in their relationship by realizing the connection with Jesus. And then Peter says, once they, once they receive the Holy Spirit, he says, can anyone object to their being baptized now that they've re- received the Spirit just as we have? Their relationship grew with God. The entire book of Acts is about how different people took different steps closer and closer to Jesus, and they grew their relationship with him. Now, this entire book is also about people growing their relationships with each other. You're familiar already, because I referenced it this week and last, of Acts chapter 2, verse 42 to 47. These people were all about getting together to share their stuff. We see the same emphasis in Acts chapter 4. It says, All the believers were united in heart and mind, and they felt that whatever they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had. But you can't do this and have relationships stay stagnant. Now, much like gathering for worship doesn't only happen in large groups, gathering for relationships doesn't only, growing your relationships doesn't only happen in large groups also. It happens in smaller groups, oftentimes just the one-on-one. We see this in Acts chapter 9 with, with a guy named Ananias. See, he lived in Damascus, and God told him, hey, I need you to go and befriend this guy named Saul. He told him this in a vision. Go and, and build this relationship with a guy named Saul who was a crazy Jesus persecutor. Ananias was a God-fearing man. Really? Lord, you want me to go and do that? Have you heard what he's doing? Ananias only knew Paul as the guy who was hunting down other Christians and dragging them to the temple authorities. But see, Saul had met Jesus on the road to Damascus. So Ananias' relationship with Paul, it had to grow from one of fear and distrust to one of trust and support. But it grew. Two people in a supporting-type relationship. Another guy by the name of Barnabas also earned some relational capital with Paul. Acts chapter 9, listen to this. It says, when Saul arrived in Jerusalem, this is after his experience on the Damascus Road and after he and Ananias had hung out for a few days. It says, after Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he tried to meet with the believers, but they were all afraid of him. They didn't believe that he had truly become a believer. But then Barnabas brought him to the apostles, and he told them how Saul had seen the Lord on the way to Damascus and how the Lord had spoken to Saul. He told them that Saul had preached boldly in the name of Jesus in Damascus. Barnabas risked a relationship, risked growing a relationship with this guy so that he could introduce him to other guys so more relationships could be formed. In fact, just a couple of chapters later, it talks about Barnabas in Acts 11. It says, Barnabas was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and strong in faith, and many people were brought to the Lord because of him. It says, then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. When he found him, he brought him back to Antioch. Both of them stayed there with the church for a full year, teaching large crowds of people. These two men's relationship grew, and lives were impacted for the kingdom. You can see this other times with Paul and other people in the story of Acts. Uh, Priscilla and Aquila, he stayed with them for over a year. Lives were changed. When you grow in relationship with God and with others, the kingdom expands. It's throughout the book of Acts. 
If the lady in the video wasn't already in relationship with this person she was talking to, this unspoken plea, then she probably wouldn't have been giving them this unspoken plea. But just by listening to it, you realize, wow, that relationship needs to take, you know, some steps forward. It needs growth. And that person is open to this message of Jesus. So grow in relationship. Now, what does this look like for you guys? Well, first I'd say you have to make sure you're focusing on growing your relationship with Jesus. You have to make sure you're spending time alone with the Lord. Jesus demonstrated this. You have to make sure you're spending time in his story. You have to make sure you're spending time talking with him. You can't grow in your relationship just by sitting here on Sunday mornings from 9.30 to 11 listening to me talk. You can't. You've got to be purposeful in the rest of the week. Now, if you're interested in what it takes to grow in your relationship, come and talk to me. Come and talk to any of the leadership whose pictures are on the wall. Either we'll help you or we'll point you to somebody who you're more comfortable with which leads to growing in relationships with others. You've got to be purposeful in that. You've got to put yourself in situations where you can laugh with, cry with, banter with, pray with, discuss with others. You can't hole up in the safety of your own home or or the privacy of your own domain name and expect to grow. You've got to risk knowing others and being known. Now I realize for the chronically introverted soul, when I speak like that, your heart races. You know how I know that? Because my heart's racing. The DNA in me says, go and take a long bike ride by yourself. But the Christ in me says, go and spend time with other people. You've got to build relationship to grow in the Lord. Find a kindred spirit to share your heart with, your struggles with, your search for God with. When two or more are gathered, great things happen. Grow in relationship with God and with others. That's step two. First step, gather for worship. Second step, grow in relationships. Third step, go on mission. I love that one of the songs we sang had that word, go. Go on mission. You've heard Jesus' command in John 20, as I have been sent, so I am sending you, right? He says the same thing in John 17. For the church to grow, for the vision and purpose of this church to be fulfilled, we have to go on mission. And the story of Acts is all about going. I realize that when I say something like that, that there's a lot of you who, you know, you're looking for that paper bag and you're breaking into hives because you fear that God's going to send you to some faraway island. You know, you fear he's going to send you to, to, some, uh, to some slum and some city and some distant, right, some faraway place. You have this fear that, oh, God, I'm willing to go as long as you don't send me here, right? Does God send people where they don't want to go? Yeah. Yeah, I'd be lying if I told you anything else. It's in the book of Acts, okay? Acts chapter 8, Stephen is stoned. This Jesus follower is stoned. And what happens? The Christians are scattered. They're sent to places where they probably wouldn't want to go. God, please don't send me to that place. You know what? You're going. You know what they did? They took advantage wherever they went to go. Acts chapter 8, verse 4. But the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. 
Acts chapter 11. Meanwhile, the believers who had been scattered during the persecution after Stephen's death traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch and Chini. They preached the word of... Sorry, that wasn't in there, but somebody, somebody has to go to Chini. Thank you, Don. I'm sorry. Uh, some, uh, they preached. There we go. They preached the word of God, but only to the Jews. However, some of the believers who went to Antioch from Cyprus and Cyrene began preaching to the Gentiles about the Lord Jesus, and the power of the Lord was with them, and a large number of these Gentiles believed and turned to the Lord. Did these people want to go to these faraway cities? Doubtful. Did they take advantage when God sent them? Yes. Now, there's other times where God whispers in people's ear or in other people's ear, and there's a willingness to go. We see this when Paul and Barnabas are sent in Acts chapter 13, verse 2 to 4. It says there was a group of people gathered, praying and fasting, (laughs) building relationships as well. And God said, the Holy Spirit said, appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them for. So after more fasting, more prayer, the men laid hands on them and sent them away. And Barnabas and Saul were sent out by the Holy Spirit. So when I say go on mission, is that going to mean go somewhere? Maybe. But oftentimes go on mission means go here, right where you are. Right where you are. You see this in Acts chapter 2. I keep coming back to it. This crazy group of people who are sharing everything together. Their mission was to make sure that nobody lacked. And it was right where they were said all the while they were praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all people, and each day the Lord added to their number of those being saved. When Paul's life was rocked by Jesus on the road to Damascus, where did he go? Like immediately. Did he get up and go to some faraway place? No. He went to right where God had him, in Damascus. It says immediately he started preaching. This is after meeting with Ananias. It says, immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogue in Damascus. And it says, a lot of people came to know the Lord. Paul didn't immediately go elsewhere. He went where he was. When he was in jail with Silas, I mentioned this earlier in Acts 16, they shared the gospel with the jailer. And the jailer believed this gospel truth. And immediately he went to his household. To his own household, Acts chapter 16, verse 29, the jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved along with everyone in your household. And they shared the word of the Lord with him and with all who lived in his household. Now, even at that hour of the night, the jailer cared for them and washed their wounds. And then he and everyone in his household were immediately baptized. He brought these two prisoners into his house and he set a meal before them. And he and his entire household rejoiced because they all believed in God. Did this jailer go to some faraway island? No, he went home, which is where God had called him to go on mission. Lives were changed, the kingdom grew. Hmm. Are you guys catching what I'm throwing out here? You don't have to go away to go on mission. You don't have to go away to go on mission. My new friend here, who's just visiting for the day, he's going away on mission. He's going to Peru. Yeah, that's right. Not all of you are. He is. You guys go right where you're at. Go on mission. 
And the Apostle Paul took these crazy missionary journeys all over the place, planted churches everywhere, wrote most of the New Testament. I think his most effective ministry is when he wasn't going anywhere. He was locked up on house arrest. Last verse in Acts. Told you I'm going to cover all of it. Okay? Same thing. I read earlier. For two years, Paul lived in Rome, and at his own expense, he welcomed all who visited him, boldly proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't have numbers as to how many people came to know the Lord through those conversations, but we know that he didn't stop going even though he was not going anywhere. Okay? Paul went. We need to go. So what does that look like for you? Perhaps it looks like just praying for an opportunity to share in a way your neighbor would understand about Jesus. Perhaps it looks like sharing with your, your, your neighbor on the desk next to you at work or at school. Perhaps it looks like, you know, a smile and a greeting to somebody who looks down in the grocery store. Perhaps it looks like praying with your kids regularly at night or praying that God would give you an opportunity to tell your story that you know so well to somebody who needs to hear it. Pray that God would give you opportunities to go. Because maybe that opportunity is going to be an answer to someone's silent plea, like this lady who we started with in the video. You know, just a moment, we're going to watch that video again, because I think it's powerful. And I want you to watch it through the lens of gather, grow, go. And this time, as you, as you listen to her, put the face of somebody you know on her face and hear their heart crying out. I pray this video captures your heart, but even more than that, I pray that God himself captures your heart. And he encourages you to take next steps, whatever those steps may be. You know, are those steps in gathering on a more regular basis? Are those steps in growing purposefully in relationship? Are those steps in going? Going somewhere or going right where you are? Whatever it is, take those steps. Let's watch this video one more time through the lens of gather, grow, go. When's it going to happen? Here I am. There you are. Here I am, desperate for love, for truth. What are you going to do when you leave this building? Are you going to share with me what you've been learning here today? Or are you just going to bottle it up and pull it out next week for your friends? Now, when I say share, I'm not talking about every tactic you've used on me in the past, like judging my every move, telling me I'm a bad person, pointing fingers, giving me disgusting looks. <laughs> and my favorite is when you tell me that I'm lost. I don't even know what that means to be lost. Do you really think judging me is gonna make me change? Would it make you change? Now, I, I know I'm a bad person. I've, I've done bad things, but I don't need you to tell me that. What I need is for you to pick me up when I fall down, to be there when I'm broken. Yes, there's, there's something missing in me. There's a void in my heart that I don't know how to fill. You have it. You have that thing that makes you whole. You know that person that I need to know. So I'm watching your every move. I'm watching where you go and what you say and do because I'm desperate for something real. I need something genuine to know that there's something more here than this. I mean, this, this can't be it, really. And 
I think you know that. Listen to me. I need you. I need you to be here for me. I need you to walk out right now, ready and willing to do whatever it takes. Hey, it's, it may not be comfortable. It may not be easy. But I need you to show me love. No matter the cost, show me what unconditional love really looks like. Stop telling me about this God of yours and show me who he really is. Honestly, I'll probably resist you. I'll probably argue with you and laugh at you. I'll, you know, even when you fall, I'll probably call you a hypocrite. But don't give up on me. Please don't give up on me. So I'm gonna ask you, when's it gonna happen? When's it gonna happen? Gather, grow, and go. We do this so that we can be church for our neighbor in the process of loving God, loving people, and making disciples. It's who we are, and it's where we're going. Let's pray. Father, there is a hurting world out there. A world that uh, this lady on the video uh, represents. Sometimes they are resistant, other times they are open. God, would you help us be willing and available to do all we can to point people to you? You know, as she said, to point people to a God that loves. As we sort through this, uh, this purpose, this vision, this mission, our values, Lord, we want this to be way more than just catchy phrases and, and things that we can you know, remember easily because they all start with G. We, we, want, we want this to be part of life change, not just for us, but for a world around us. And God, we can't do this without you. We recognize that. So would you help us, Father? This week, this week in particular, would you put somebody in our lives who we can be the hands and feet of Jesus to, and if you so choose, who we can share the story of Christ's love with? Would you put that person in front of us, Lord, and would you help us take advantage of that opportunity? We will give you the glory and the honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, where, where did Mike go? I just want to thank him. Mike gets to lead worship like once every couple of years. Um, so make sure you thank him. He's out in the foyer. Um, good to have him lead worship for us. We have formation hour uh, after this. Um, can we stand and sing the doxology? It's not in your, your bulletin, but I think we can do that. And if you don't, if you don't know the words to it, just... Listen to the person next to you. Okay? So let's, uh, I, don't, I don't think it's going to come up there. Let's, let's sing. I'll start it off. Praise God.
This week, as you gather, grow, and go, may God bless you and protect you. May he smile upon you and be gracious to you. May he show you his favor and give you his peace. Amen? Amen. And amen.